0: A summit air let 410 is trying to do a takeoff out of Lukla when something goes really wrong. What caused this flight to end so badly?
1: Welcome back to the Hard Landings Podcast, everybody. I'm Nick.
0: I'm Miranda. And I'm Christy. Hey. Hi. We're just here for a normal episode. Yeah, yes, it's a Sunday afternoon. Yep. It's nice and we're chilly actually, outside. We're
1: actually recording early because we got everything done and ate dinner early. I don't know, <laughs> it's kind of a weird Sunday. Like, notes were really short, so it's a fair warning, this is going to be a short episode. But also, like, I don't know, we just... Made dinner early and ate early and we're recording an hour early.
2: <laughs> yes. I put in some hours at work today. Like it's just, it's
0: a weirdly productive day and I didn't take my meds. Mm-hmm. So real quick, thanks to Alan for upping their patronage.
1: Yes, thank you. I saw that.
0: We appreciate that. If you have spooky stories you would like to tell us for October, Spoopy Doopy, feel free to do so.
1: Yes. Also, we'll have another listener question at the end of this one.
0: And then also, as always, check out the Patreon and if you'd like the newsletter, which, by the way, there's a trivia section I put in the newsletter and it lets me know you guys don't actually read it. (laughs) (laughs) No one has answered any of the trivia questions. Cool. So that's okay. Can they
1: reply to that email? Yeah. Because you send it out manually, right? Yeah.
0: So you can reply to the email, or I put in the newsletter, you can just email us at the email on there and give us the answers. Yeah. Because we have talked about the answers to all those
1: questions. I kind of understand, though, because like I know my inbox is super spammed, Yeah, and I most definitely do not read everything from every place I, <laughs> yeah. I get emails from. I know they like really important ones, and I watch out for those, but otherwise...
0: I started doing it, like I think, in August, just to see if... Anyone would respond, and no one did, so. That's okay. I was like, should I be putting this much effort into something no one reads? Because <laughs> it's a lot of effort on my part. I know. So, I think it's
1: really cool. I like the way it looks, but.
0: I don't know. Let us know if you actually read those. Yes. Because if not, I'm not going to spend my time on it anymore. <laughs> right. It's a lot of effort for, you know. And then someone like signed up for it this month, and I was like, okay, well, now I have to do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Nah, I get it. Whatever. Anyway, sorry. It was a little bit rambly there.
1: That's okay. I think that we're getting pretty much to final call for Spooky Stories.
0: I mean
2: no, next week. Yeah. It, it, next week's episode comes out on the twenty fifth. I only know okay. that because it's our anniversary episode. That's
1: right. So for year three.
2: Oh, wow. That's God. Weird. <laughs> wow.
1: Every year just kind of flies by faster and faster, I swear.
2: Don't don't talk to me.
1: No, it really does. I mean it's It's really strange to me how fast this has all happened. It feels like we've been in COVID forever, and yet it feels like these three years, which started before COVID, have happened so fast.
0: Yeah, very fast. Check out the merch page.
1: Please. We just got another merch order. There's lots of good stuff on there. and If you want something, too, let us know. There's so much stuff we can add
0: yeah take a look at it
1: if you have any recommendations for stuff if you want to design stuff (laughs) let us know no seriously because that takes time if
0: you want to design stuff and have it get put on a shirt or something go for it
1: i know we've had some people before that are graphic designers that listen and or designers period just people that are artists and stuff if you have ideas put out there
0: yeah all right I think that's the end of our big rambly intro beginning. Thing. Yes. So what are we covering today?
1: <laughs> today we are covering Summit Air Flight 802D. Thanks
0: to... Kevin. Thanks, Kevin. For recommending this episode.
1: This one will be very short, but... it graphic. is Graphic. It is a bit dramatic and a little bit graphic.
2: Good to know. We will give a content warning later.
1: Yep, when we get to that point. It's not going to be very long. This accident occurred on April 14th of 2019, so this was pretty recent. I remember when this happened. I remember the day this happened, and I'll explain why in a little bit. This was a LET L410 UVP-E20. Yep, all of that. With the tail number 9 November dash Alpha Mike Hotel. A LET. Is a twin turboprop high-wing airplane. It is small. I think it has less than 19 seats. Not sure. It's somewhere in that range of size of aircraft. The Let 410 is a Czech-built aircraft, Mm -hmm. so they're actually very pretty rare.
2: That makes so much more sense now with my notes! Yes. I will explain later, but that clears some things up for me. Thank
1: you. Which is why there's a UVP after 410 because the Let 410 L410 is just what the aircraft is, just the L410. But the UVP and this one specifically is check for short takeoff and landing. Mm. So it's a stole aircraft. This is the stole version of the Let 410. And then the E-20 designates the variation of engines and equipment. But this airplane in general is meant for short takeoffs and landing, which is very fitting because this is a flight from Lukla in Nepal, to Ramizyap, spelled R-A-M-E-C-H-H-A-P. Yep, it's that. Both are in Nepal. Super clear. Yep. This is a repositioning flight, which I'll talk more about in a minute. The captain, I don't have any names for either crew member, but the captain is 48 years old. He had 15,652 hours total, of which 3,558 hours are on the type, so he actually had a lot of hours overall and quite a few hours on the type for such a small airplane that does such small flights. That is a lot of time. The first officer, on the other hand, he was 33 years old, and he had 865 hours total, of which 636 were on the type. So most of his hours were on the aircraft, but he didn't have very many overall. That day, the aircraft and crew had flown one round trip already between Lukla and Ramizyap earlier in the day before making another flight with passengers and cargo to Ramizyap, So they had already done one full round trip, and now they were also coming back to Lukla. So this is the third flight into Lukla, and now they're prepping for the fourth. Upon arrival at Lukla at 9 a.m., the left engine was shut down. After offloading all passengers and cargo, the crew were to perform a repositioning flight with the aircraft from Lukla back to Ramizap, which is a flight without passengers or cargo. It's literally just to reposition the airplane back to main station for whatever purpose it's used for next. For the repositioning leg, the captain was to be the pilot monitoring while the first officer was to be the pilot flying. The captain then started the left engine at 9.03, just three minutes after they shut it down and let everybody off. <laughs> it is a very short turnaround. Yes. Yeah. It's pretty normal, actually, at Lukla. You'd be surprised. The airplanes don't stay on the ground for very long.
0: I wouldn't think so.
1: They're very small airplanes. It's a very small airport, and it is very simple operation, so everybody's in and out of there. Like that. I mean, they yeah. really don't. They don't need to be there very long. The captain taxied the aircraft to runway 24, the only runway for takeoff at Lukla, because it's in one way and out the opposite, since you have to go downhill for takeoff.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And lined it up with the center line for takeoff at 9.07 a.m. in 30 seconds. He then handed off controls to the first officer for takeoff, since he was supposed to be pilot flying for this leg. The takeoff roll began at 9.07 a.m. in 50 seconds, so 20 seconds after they were lined up on runway 24. CCTV footage from the airport showed that something was immediately wrong. The airplane immediately began veering to the right. The aircraft quickly skidded off the right side of the runway, traveling 42.8 feet across a grassy area before striking two security personnel standing on a wall that splits the runway from a helipad. Things get a little bit graphic from here, so fair warning, not great. The aircraft jumped the small wall, at which time the rotor blade of a running helicopter struck the window on the right side of the cockpit. The first officer perished instantly on the impact.
2: I believe the term was slashed.
1: In the findings, it is slayed by the rotor blade of the helicopter.
2: That's straight out of an action film.
1: Yep. The aircraft traveled an additional 43 feet once it passed the wall. The airplane impacted the fuselage of the same helicopter, dragging it toward another helicopter, before coming to rest just short of striking the second helicopter's fuselage, only damaging the left skid but pushing the whole helicopter eight feet. There was somebody inside, but he was uninjured.
0: Luckily. Yeah. Lord.
1: Some flying debris was thrown toward some other people that were nearby, beside the helipad. The crew of the helicopter, one person, that was destroyed, suffered from a fractured tailbone, which... I don't know exactly how they ended up with a fractured tailbone, and I'll show you why in a moment, but that was the only injury that the pilot of the helicopter, the destroyed helicopter, had, and that's pretty miraculous.
2: I mean, was he knocked out of the cockpit and fell on his
1: I have no idea. That's all I could think.
0: Or, I mean, you get struck the right way pushing. I mean, you could probably
1: fracture your You'll you'll see in a minute. The captain of the let was only minorly injured in the accident. I imagine from just being jostled around and flying glass. Yeah, the glass. Of the two security personnel that were struck by the aircraft, one perished at the scene and the other one perished later at a hospital because one of them was struck by the prop of the let. All other people nearby were not injured, or reportedly anyways, because they weren't reported as injured in the report. However... Now we'll get into it because it's the end of my notes. There is a very <laughs> detailed video of this crash.
0: It is the CCTV footage from the helipad. It is
1: the CCTV footage from the helipad which shows everything.
0: So to preface this, now the some of the pictures I saw made sense because mm-hmm. I had to take pictures for the October newsletter. Newsletter, and there's a picture of the inside of the cockpit showing the thrust loaders. Covered in blood. Yeah. So that makes a little more sense now. Yep. The
2: specific link that we have, it plays it once at regular speed and then it will play it again in slow motion. Pick one way or the other, but one time watch the two people on the left side of the screen, they die. And then watch the first officer's cockpit window the other time. It's not good.
1: It's really miraculous that the person in the helicopter also didn't pass away. So, here's the video. So, obviously, there's a running helicopter right here. There's a helicopter standing still right there with somebody loading it. There's the two security personnel on the wall. And all these people! So, they show this person get out, and I don't know who they are, but I think they get struck by some of the debris. Obviously, the security personnel, I think, are looking toward the helipad, because they did not...
0: Get out of the way.
1: Or even flinch. (gasps) Oh! It happened so fast. Oh. And you see the person jumps out of the other helicopter and he's okay.
2: Watch the first officer's window.
1: Smash. Oh my god. And again, how that person in that helicopter got destroyed.
2: I think he just got thrown.
1: He might have. That wouldn't surprise me.
2: The door was open, so. I think Mm -hmm. he got thrown and landed on his ass.
1: Mm-hmm. But then, okay, so let's back up now. Watch the people all the way on the left side of the screen down in front of the helipad. Some of the debris already right here is flying at them. You see there's pieces of debris flying right at them. So I feel like more people probably got injured than what's reported. The problem is, is that in Lukla, there were so many people here. Like, not just all these people that were literally right here, but where this camera is, is a fence where people just stand and watch by the thousands. Oh, no. And when the accident happened, there were so many people there, I'm sure they couldn't find people that got injured if they were looking for them. Like, if they were minorly injured, they had a scratch here or there, they probably never got it reported, because the reality is there were so many people present. I don't know how it wouldn't be worse. So, like I said, this is one of the most detailed of any accident we've ever covered, where you can really see everything. Oh, and it's it's brutal.
0: We'll put the video on the website. Watch at your own discretion. It's, it's not
1: like you see you don't, gore per se, but, no, but it's you see everything happen, so you know yeah, kind of the it's, instant. It's
0: a little rough to watch. So yeah. if you're gonna watch it, just be aware it's hard to watch. Mm-hmm.
2: This investigation was performed by the Aircraft Accident Investigation Commission, put together on the day of the accident by the government of Nepal in accordance with the ICAO, and it consisted of four members, one from Nepal, couldn't really determine what agency, one from the EASA, one from General Electric, and one from the BEA. General Electric made the engines, so makes sense. Both black boxes were recovered without mechanical or thermal damage. Well, that's good.
0: I mean, Uh the tail is, like, fully intact. Yes. However... Oh god, there's always a
1: however. Yes, there is.
0: Investigators were
2: never able to retrieve the data from the CVR despite multiple attempts by both the BEA as well as aircraft industries in the Czech Republic.
0: That's weird. Yep,
2: and I don't go into that that much further at all. I also didn't read it at this point in the analysis, so I forgot to throw this in here, but for whatever reason... The tower communication recording was inoperative for two
0: days, Mm -hmm. so they didn't have tower communications either. No. That's
1: weird. Yes. Ultimately, I don't know how much either recording would have done for them.
2: No, but it's still not convenient. No.
1: No. Lukla is a notoriously very dangerous airport, and there have been a lot of accidents here. As a matter of fact, two years before the one we're talking about now, the same airline and the same type of aircraft had a crash short of the runway at Lukla. Lukla has so many accidents per year with these small commercial aircraft that having this kind of information, this recorded data, is actually pretty critical, usually.
2: And I'll get more into it why Lukla has problems. But first, the FDR as well as the CCTV footage both proved to be vital parts of the investigation as well as the captain who was available to be interviewed. Right. This field is called a short takeoff and landing field, or STOL, which are very common in Nepal, and each has its own unique characteristics. The pilots for these runways are made to be well acquainted with them before being allowed to use them for commercial flights. These runways range from 1,400 feet at Doti, to 2,200 feet at Jula, Drumsum, and Paplu. And they vary greatly in elevation from 1,555 feet at Ramajap to 12,297 feet at Siong Boch Right.
1: Lukla is at 9,900 feet, 9,800 feet, something like that.
2: They also range from flat airfields to the steepest at 11.75% grade. Any guess... Where the 11.75% is?
0: I know. The runway? Lukla.
1: It's at Lukla.
2: That's why it's notorious for crashes, mishaps, incidents.
0: It's on the side of a mountain.
2: And you take off going downhill. Yeah.
1: You land going uphill. You can watch some videos of that later. That's pretty crazy.
2: The rapidly changing weather conditions also make air travel quite treacherous. Though that was not an issue. Weather was not a factor. No, it looked like it was a nice, clear day outside. The first topic investigators delved into was the flight crew. Were they properly qualified, and how did they perform? Both pilots were properly certified and current, and there weren't any reported controversies about their performance leading up to the accident. For the accident flight, the pilot-in-command gave the co-pilot command of the takeoff. But per the flight operation regulation and the airline's operating manual, only the P-1-endorsed license holders can be in command of Stoll Fields. And the co-pilot
0: did not have this endorsement.
1: So he was not supposed to perform that takeoff.
0: Well, did the captain know that? I mean, I feel like if he didn't know... So this
2: captain is actually an instructor pilot, and he said that that was one of the factors when he was giving control
0: to the co-pilot Is a teaching yeah, but but also you, you should don't know do the regulation. Lukla, yeah. I mean, I realize like if you wanted it to be a a teaching moment, yeah, like a learning opportunity, but don't do it at one of the most dangerous airports
1: in the world. Like,
0: I will get more into that.
1: But also, how do you gain that experience then at that airport? You but have to at some point give well, the control.
0: Yes, but if you're supposed to have a specific kind of endorsement to even do that, agreed. Like, then wait till they have the endorsement to do it. Agreed. I will get more in depth into that. Much later. Next, investigators looked for
2: a potential mechanical failure. This part of the report, I'm also realizing, doesn't entirely address it, and it gets addressed later. Okay. This report was weird. Also, it was definitely translated.
1: Oh, most definitely.
2: (laughs) Both main landing gear and the wheel assemblies were normal, with no signs of hydraulic failure.
0: That's It didn't look like those were the things that... (laughs)
2: And both main nope. tires were inflated. I mean, the plane veered off the runway. Yes. If tires had popped, could have veered.
0: Yes, but there were like no sparks or anything for it to suggest that any of the tires had popped. No, Correct. but it, it's worth checking.
2: The nose gear was collapsed
0: due to impact. Oh, well, yeah.
1: Can't possibly imagine why.
2: And the tire was still inflated, actually. So that wasn't the issue either. Did something go wrong with the nose steering? Investigators found that the nose wheel steering switch was correctly in pedal Mode, meaning it would be steered with the pedals. Yeah. In reviewing the circuit breaker panel, it was found that the 4A breaker for nose wheel steering
0: was popped. So it wasn't working.
2: If this had been popped after the nose wheel steering switch was changed to pedal, it would not have turned on the pedal steering light and the piloting command would have aborted takeoff because they wouldn't have been able to steer with the pedals. Upon being interviewed, the pilot in command said he did not see any such abnormalities, so the circuit breaker probably popped after the takeoff roll began. Okay. Either at impact or sometime during the roll. In reviewing the circuitry, if it had been popped after the takeoff roll began, it could indicate a short circuit in either the manual or pedal part of the circuit. But there are so many components, it's difficult to determine where the short exactly would be. Investigators eventually managed to narrow it to the weight-on-wheels switch circuit, which would have probably shorted when the nose gear collapsed. So So it
1: was after... Yeah, it was after impact. After impact.
2: So Mm -hmm. that's not a factor here. Investigators then go into the analysis of the flight data recorder and compared it to the pilot in command's interview. Together, they revealed that the power lever to the right engine had rolled back which the engine reacted to a second later, and the captain immediately increased the lever, but the engine was not able to spool back up in time. This all happened extremely quickly. The throttle was rolled back only five seconds before impact.
0: I mean, the asymmetric thrust would have caused them to veer off the runway. Big time.
1: Yep. Sure did.
2: In continuing the analysis, the pilot in command said as an instructor, he made the decision to give the co-pilot the controls for takeoff. He also revealed that the aircraft had some technical issues regarding the friction lock and power lever. So normal practice was to keep the captain's hand on the power lever on takeoff. Upon lining up, the co-pilot advanced power and confirmed that the engines were operating normally, as is practice for short takeoffs and landing. Then the takeoff roll began. The co-pilot advanced the power levers and released the brakes. He removed his hand from the power lever to hold the control column with both hands. The pilot in command said that now as pilot monitoring, he failed to keep his hand on the power levers. Two seconds after the beginning of the takeoff roll, the right power lever shifted real on its own.
0: Yeah, I mean... So, the person flying the aircraft is supposed to keep their hands on the levers.
2: The captain, regardless of he is pilot flying or pilot monitoring, is supposed to keep his hand on the power levers. So
1: he didn't keep his hand on the power levers. correct? For right. their operation,
0: did then it wouldn't have spooled back,
1: right? For their operating procedures, yeah. Which
0: I'm at least still, from what I understand,
1: I'm still a little confused as to how that happened because I don't. I can't imagine that this airplane has an auto throttle. Most airplanes of this size do not.
0: Didn't you say it had something to do, like, there was an issue with friction or something like that? With the friction lock.
1: Right. That's fine and all, but usually there's still, like, hard stops on reversers in most aircraft, so I don't know enough about the let to say...
2: And I read everything.
1: Right. I don't know enough about the let to understand the throttle system or how that works. And the friction locks, I mean, they are important, and they exist on every airplane, but... You know, it determines literally how hard it is to push and pull the throttles and, you know, if it'll keep it in place. You're still supposed to keep your hands on it. Of course, that's the primary thing that went wrong there. But still, how it would fall into a reverse setting on its own is mind-boggling, because in most aircraft, there's safeties for that they design either a second set of levers you have to pull in order to go into reverse or they design a system where you have to force you know it's a pretty heavy push to go into reverse was it no
0: reverse or was it just spooled back because i don't remember you it did it not was reversed i don't think it went into reverse
1: from what i read it was a reverse thrust on one engine
2: from the graph that i read it was still a positive thrust
1: and that may be that would make more sense in my mind
2: So here I have, of course they don't label their figures, but if you're in the report, this is section 2.4.2. And you can see that the torque lever never went below 25, whatever that data point is. Mm -hmm. It never went below zero. And the thrust definitely dropped, but it also never went below zero.
1: And that may be. That would make a lot more sense if like they were throttled up for takeoff and then one of them just went right back.
0: It just dropped. Which And that's
1: ugly. But I still can't I mean, there's there's still like
0: what's weird too is they're going downhill and I realize that this probably has nothing to do with this, but they're mm -hmm. going downhill. And if you're thinking about gravity, you would Mm -hmm. think if they're going downhill, it wouldn't pull back. Unless it's reacting to the thrust going
1: forward, I guess. But That's a big part of it, probably. And between that and also just in general, this is a normal phenomena in really small airplanes that throttles can fall back because of the friction locks either don't work or whatever on takeoff. But that's usually due to vibrations from piston engines. This is a turbine. So... There's quite a few reasons that, I mean, they could fall like that. But in this case, I would have to imagine it's because of the acceleration and not because of yeah anything like that.
0: So really what you're telling me is is the captain f***ed up. Pretty much. They literally
2: just don't analyze why the right lever fell back.
1: And this is one of the things that bothers me most about this report because we'll get into it, but it's not in the findings of the recommendations at all.
0: But it's the reason why it veered off the runway.
1: Yep. They don't talk about that at all in the findings and. Recommendations. Not even a little bit. That's not great.
2: Quote Time taken from lineup position to takeoff roll by the crew was not enough for handing over controls from pilot in command to co pilot for takeoff preparation. Before takeoff, the crew has to receive takeoff clearance, check engine parameters like torque, ITT, RPM, fuel flow, engine oil pressure slash temperature, and takeoff callouts. End quote. The flight data recorder showed that the takeoff set torque was asymmetric, 33.52% on the right engine and 44.8% on the left. The aircraft began to veer at the beginning of the slope and the pilot command realized that the right power lever was rolling back, so he pushed it forward and used the foot brakes to try and veer back on path. When interviewed, the captain said that his decision to advance power and apply uneven braking was inappropriate and he should have aborted takeoff using reverse thrust and foot brakes. He admitted it. He knows he messed up. The last subject in the analysis was human factors. Having short, repetitive flights on the same route with the same crew can induce complacency. Yep. And it promotes overlooking critical items, especially given that it was an empty aircraft yep. in fair weather. That's, the, I think, one of the bigger factors of deciding to give command to the co-pilot. Was,
0: because there's nobody there. Yeah.
2: I mean... It's nice weather. When else are you going to get that prime opportunity to practice a short
0: takeoff at Lukla? But still, I like, know. not great.
2: Another factor, which proved to not be a factor, but an investigated point, this occurred on the Nepalese New Year.
0: Mm. Yep.
2: Which brought to light that the crew had celebrated the night before, which may have caused sleep deprivation and or alcohol consumption. Neither of these were found to be the case, in case you were wondering. Nope. It was also found that within Nepalese aviation, there was a strong desire for co-pilots to master difficult airports before being authorized to do so. And instructor pilots rarely object, especially when you have something like an empty aircraft in good weather. And that's very analysis.
0: So I wrote a blurb in the October newsletter about training and how important it is and how you cannot be complacent because then you're putting safety at risk. Your safety is just as important as any passenger safety. Yep. You cannot make the decision, because ultimately it's you and the co-pilot's life, right? Right. So making a decision like that and the company trying to get co pilots to master airports before they're ready to do so is gonna cause stuff like this to happen. Right. And I mean this was a complete accident, right? Do Absolutely. I actually think that the co pilot flying was really the problem? No. No. But it added an a factor. a factor that if the captain had been flying and he was the one to hold the levers because he wasn't monitoring, it may not have happened. Right? And so I think that though I don't think it's the actual cause of the accident, I do think that it is a notable thing to be like, yes, no, like let's not do that. It's clearly not safe, you know?
1: I agree with that. I think that it was a bad choice.
0: Yeah, bad call. Yeah. Especially at Lukla.
1: (laughs) Yep, of all places.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you're going to do that at a different airport on a nice day and it was an empty airplane, sure. But when you're at a really dangerous airport like that...
1: That's a whole different thing, yeah.
0: And, you know, I mean, and the littlest thing, like, this could happen, and then it wasn't even the co-pilot's fault, right? If right. it's If they're following standard operating procedure, it's just, you know, just the little bit of, like, oh, I'm not flying, I don't hold the levers, and it slips back, and then you panic. Right. Which, what happens? The captain panicked, and then they veered off the runway, so.
2: I would also like to say that, in reading this report, it was very... Brief and not written in good English. So, if either of us misinterpreted anything or misunderstood anything, I'm apologizing now. I'm sorry. I
0: tried. I tried. Anyway, we're going to take a break. Yep. And then we'll come back with all the normal stuff. Yep.
1: Okay, we're back. Let's do some findings. Probable cause and recommendation. There were a total of 18 findings. I am not doing all 18 because most of them are, this was not the problem, this was not the problem, this was not the problem.
0: Ah, I see.
1: They found that the right-hand wing of the aircraft swept two police officials outside inner perimeter fence before slashing the rotor shaft of 9 November-Alpha Lima-Charlie. Which was the helicopter. The moving rotors cut through the cockpit on the right side, slaying the first officer immediately. That is their verbiage. That's why I told you, because I knew.
2: Slash is the word that I saw.
1: And then slaying here, which is... mm.
2: And then entering. No, thank you. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: They found that co-pilot flight handling procedure as pilot flying was not found in the flight operating procedures or the airline standard operating procedures for short takeoff and landing fields. This is really poorly worded, but essentially there was no legal way for that first officer to be pilot flying at the time of this takeoff. Mm -hmm. Nope. For the short takeoff and landing. Because per both sets of operating procedures for flight operating procedures and their Standard operating procedures for the airline, period. It is not okay. They found that immediately after initiation of the takeoff roll, the aircraft veered to the right. The crew were neither able to maintain runway centerline nor abort the takeoff. There was no fixing the problem, basically, once it happened. Which you can't tell in the video because you can't see... The beginning of started. the runway. But there is another video, and maybe we'll pull that one up when we're done here. There's another video from the terminal side, which obviously you can't see as much of like what actually... Happens, but you can yeah. see where they start to the take off roll and where they veer. And I mean, it is like that. It all happened so fast. They, they didn't travel very far. In this report, there is a picture of just exactly how far they did travel, and it is not far.
2: I don't
0: think they would have been able to abort.
1: I suspect not either. There was not enough. For it- human factors, there was not enough time.
0: The question also is though, if they had completely shut the engines down. Would it have been as catastrophic as it was?
1: Basically what the determined is, I mean, per human reaction time, the captain basically did pull engines to idle.
0: No, he advanced.
1: Or he advanced thrust. But still, even if you had pulled them both to idle, it probably would have been pretty much the same outcome.
0: Because it didn't have time for it to Because it was already rolling.
1: Off. It was already rolling too quickly and going to the right, and they couldn't change direction fast enough. So the red line here is how far they traveled Yeah, from the point they started rolling to the point they crashed.
2: And that's figure two in the report.
1: It is. That is not far. No. That's probably not even 200 feet.
0: No, probably not.
1: Which they covered that distance in less than 10 seconds.
0: Well, that also makes me feel like that it was like the inertial force, right? Acting on the thrust lever because it... There was nothing keeping it in place. Right. And so once the power went forward, the thing just slipped back.
1: While there's the potential that maybe there was some way they could have avoided this being as bad as it was. Yeah. I do think that a crash was pretty much inevitable once they had an asymmetric power situation Mm -hmm. with a pilot flying who was not. I think it was pretty much inevitable.
2: Yeah. The only way this could have been prevented was if someone kept their hands on the thrust levers.
1: Yep. Pretty much. So, I mean, this was not far at all. They didn't travel far at all. And this was, I mean, it was a very, very quick accident. Human Factor says that, honestly, that there's not much more they could have done. So you can't, again, much to the same way that reports are, it's not to place blame. So you really can't either. They found that there was no post-crash fire. There is smoke in the video if you watch all the way through to the end, but it never actually catches fire. It's just all the fluids flowing onto hot things, but it never actually caught fire. Found that human factor analysis showed complacency in the cockpit crew. Yeah. Okay, we knew that. Basically, everything we just talked about. Human factors. Not great. There was complacency, but still, like, there was nothing they could have done based on the situation they were in. They found that the aircraft was maintained properly as per approved maintenance schedule. No maintenance work was found overdue. Now, the reason I left that one in here because that is a, this wasn't a factor thing, is because the throttle was known to just fall, which to me is a maintenance issue. So, I don't necessarily agree with it being maintained properly.
0: Nope, but, you know, like, obviously they knew
1: the friction locks weren't working. And this isn't an MEL item.
0: No, it wouldn't be. I mean, if you're supposed to keep your hands on the throttles anyway.
1: Minimum equipment list for anybody who needs Yes, It's the minimum needed to fly the airplane.
0: But if it goes in for a check and you know that it's a problem, just fix it. Well,
1: and it's a continuing problem with the airplane, and the fact of the matter is is all these airlines have to have maintenance staff at at least most of their stations in some way, shape, or form that can maintain this when they have time. Of course, an eight-minute stopover in Lukla... This isn't going to be be enough enough time to do anything, but when they're at their main station and the aircraft's on the ground, probably overnight, you can send somebody out there to fix that problem one day to the next, but they had been suffering with this problem on this aircraft for a long time. So that's why I don't agree with that one. They found that the tower air traffic controller pilot VHF communication recorder was also unserviceable since the 13th of April, 2019 at 1144 hours. So it had been out of service for two days which is not good. And this is tacked on to the previous finding, which is, of course, about the CVR. Mm -hmm. And again, the reason that this is really kind of important in this is because Lukla is notorious for having accidents and incidents. And so having that data, though it may not have helped them in any way, shape or form with this particular incident, is still a very important thing to have at Lukla at all times and on the aircraft, the CVR. That's just a whole thing. They found that Simultaneous heavy mixed operations of fixed and rotor wing aircrafts in a close distance added to the damages caused by runway excursions as the rotors of the helicopter were still running on idle.
2: Yeah. Maybe you shouldn't have a helipad right next to an operating
1: runway. Exactly what they're suggesting. And what I can tell you about Lukla is it is still this way because it's really space. Yeah. It's really hard for them to change that airport. It is basically at its max size already. Because of where it is and how it's built. It is not great that there was a helipad just operating like so close to a commercial runway. Yeah. Granted, everything, all the airplanes are very small that operate there. The operations aren't super busy, but relatively.
0: So
2: to answer your question, I don't know if this it's still a helipad there or not. There were never helipad markings there to begin with. No.
1: There are no markings, and still on Google Maps, there are no markings. But, I mean, it's still pretty clearly, like, there's still two levels where the helipads are, were, I don't know, in the wall. So it's still very much a possibility. It's something.
2: something. I do also want to make this disclaimer now. We had paused so that we could do a little bit of uh, research. If you want to go through the report
1: do so at your own risk.
2: The The pictures that they take of the cockpit settings are very... Gory. Yes. There are things.
1: Yeah. It's an ugly incident. This they, is, they
2: did not clean up.
1: No. And this is one of the worst ones we've...
2: I've never seen that
1: Yeah, in a report. Yeah. They didn't leave much out.
2: <laughs> I know that means that some of you are intentionally going to go look up the report now. And that and- is
1: your prerogative, but... That's it for the findings. That's all that I'm doing from the findings. And again, you might note that there's nothing in there at all about the throttles, which really kind of... Yeah, it really kind of drives me nuts because it's kind of the focal point, whether that be how the throttles were used, whether that be the functioning of the throttles, any of that. It just... None of it was in the findings.
2: So... The probable cause. The commission concluded that the probable cause of the accident was aircrafts veering towards right during initial takeoff roll as a result of asymmetric power due to abrupt shifting of right power lever rearwards and failure to abort the takeoff by crew. There were not enough evidences to determine the exact reason for abrupt shifting of the power lever. There wasn't enough
1: evidence. Yes.
2: Contributing factors. Failure of the pilot flying, being a less experienced pilot to immediately assess and act upon the abrupt shifting of the right power lever resulted in aircraft veering to the right, causing certain time lapse for pilot-in-command to take controls in order to initiate correction. 2. The pilot-in-command's attempted corrections of adding power could not correct the veering. Subsequently, application of brakes resulted in asymmetric braking due to position of the pedals and further contributed veering towards right.
1: It just amazes me that they have all of that as the probable cause and contributing factors. It's literally entirely about the throttle and how the airplane ended up veering right, and that really is the ultimate thing that went wrong. And yet they really say nothing else about it. Because now we're going to do the recommendations, and you'll see it's infuriatingly inadequate.
0: Yeah, I bet. Where? Random question.
2: Where is Everest? Compared to Lukla,
1: it is northwest of there. It's still a pretty good distance away, but because the terrain gets so much higher from there, it's not really possible. So to So to if airport. you try
0: to go climb Everest,
1: it's far away. You that's why they have fly
0: into Lukla.
1: Yes, that's why they have the helicopters there. Actually, is it's oh. primarily for expedition drops. You can certainly hike in from Lukla, but it is. A very long hike. That is another, like, week's worth of hiking just to get to the base. The
0: base, and you now then have to, you know, go up.
1: Yeah. And it's normally, I mean, several months long expedition should you do it. But even with a helicopter, it's going to be a lot still. So, but because of the altitude above Lukla, between Lukla and Everest, there's really not possible to put another airport in, which is why Lukla really is the closest thing you're going to get. Now for Recommendations. To air, they recommend the operator should train crew for rejected takeoff procedures in simulator for unforeseen situations in stole fields. Again, this really doesn't address the throttle thing, but they should have aborted. Still, in rather thrott- than going full throttle, yeah. which wasn't a good situation, and even with I, that, they really probably wouldn't have gotten out of the situation.
2: No, the engines barely had time to spool up. I don't even know if they did spool up after... Because he only advanced right. the right throttle lever. He kept the left one at its original power setting. Right,
1: and I don't know if it had time before the airplane impacted.
2: Let me pull up the flight. Data. In the
1: video, that engine is still spinning when they come to rest, so...
2: No, it never had time to re back up. If you look at the right engine torque...
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: So, this is when it dropped this is when he figured it out that and started advancing it but you can see here that the torque never it
1: never got back, back up, back up yeah. yeah that does not surprise me in the slightest
2: but you can see that the thrust lever dropped at 47 seconds in this graph i know i don't know what the timestamps are on this graph but at 47 seconds and then by 52 seconds it impacted like this was fast
1: yep they recommended the operator should consider Fa2200 FDR model with SB modification as an option to enable fuel flow and ITT parameter inputs. It can primarily be used as a tool for engine health monitoring and engine overrun and over temperature limits in case of incidents or accidents. Primarily, they just wanted more data on the engine. Fair enough. So they felt the FDR was inadequate?
0: Yeah, it kind of was. I mean, they realized what the problem was, but... Right. The FDR
2: had... Quite a number of parameters. I think it said something like 100 parameters.
1: Yeah. I mean, the let is not an old airplane per se.
2: Among the 107 parameters recorded.
1: Right. So it doesn't really surprise me. I mean, for such a small airplane, actually, it's pretty miraculous they have that many data points. To the Civil Aviation Authority of Nepal, they recommend considering the typical nature of Nepalese airfields, a clear provision regarding the restriction of handing over of flight control by PIC to co-pilot, and categorical upgradation of co-pilot to pilot in the stole airfields should be included in flight operations. So that's a really poorly worded way of saying it really should be pretty strict that at airports like Lukla, the pilot flying should never be an unrated first officer yeah. for said airfields. Yes. It should always be the captain, unless the first officer is rated. For that takeoff.
0: Yes, and then, of course, let him fly.
1: Right. They recommend to the Civil Aviation Authority of Nepal that they should ensure the continuous recordings of the pilot ATC recording in all airports. Make sure that there's never downtime, i.e., in the event of an accident like this one.
2: There should be backups for that.
1: Yes. You recommend to the Civil Aviation Authority of Nepal that they should study the possibilities of shifting the existing helipad at Lukla.
2: Again, hard to tell from Google Earth.
1: I really don't know where they would put it. That's the only, that's my big problem I have with it. It's not really anywhere convenient to put that. And last but not least, I will read the one to Aircraft Industries AS Czech Republic. They recommend, as no conclusions could be drawn as to why there were no CVR recordings in this accident, the commission advises manufacturer to preview MPD or maintenance planning document in a more robust way to ensure availability of CVR recordings. So just checking the CVR more regularly on maintenance. Again, nothing about the throttle, nothing about operations of where your hand is during the throttle. They do talk about the pilot and command and pilot flying thing, the captain and pilot flying thing, but they still don't bring up anything about the throttle and the maintenance of the throttle and the throttle issue. And that really bothers me enormously because I feel like they didn't recommend anything to actually fix the issue. So that's really it for this one. It was a pretty straightforward but kind of an infuriating report.
0: Yep. Yeah. We have a listener question. We have a listener question. We have
1: right? a listener question.
0: So this is from Sherry, our patron Sherry. Thank you, Sherry. It's from episode 153, the episode that just came out. Okay. Well, While we're recording this. Yes. <laughs> Which I believe is Ansett New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And her question is, regarding CVR and training, are CVRs only... Listen to in case of an accident, or can they be randomly pulled and listened to in order to track down a specific troubleshooting issue?
1: They absolutely can be used for that. That,
2: that being said, though, I don't know how often that happens. A. Correct. B. The quick access recorder is more of what you would use for actual, like maintenance troubleshooting and that's why it's called the quick access recorder
1: because
0: it is quickly accessed
1: cvrs can absolutely be used for training
0: but they cannot be used to like
1: they cannot be used in a punitive way for the pilots unions this is a very touchy subject
0: you can't get fired based on based on on what they hear on a cvr
1: right what they, they can, can train you. Right. What they can do is retrain you on what standard operating procedure for what they hear on the recorder.
0: But they that can't okay. fire you. Right. It that would be, be wrongful used, termination.
1: Correct. It cannot be used in a punitive manner. So that is a very touchy subject with a lot of the pilots unions, but it is still a very useful thing. And a lot of the chief pilots at airlines still very much appreciate being able to check in on those things, especially when they have minor incidents, you know, that are like not major reports or anything, they can still review like the CVR and find out what exactly happened in the cockpit in that instance. So they can better train crews to not do the same thing.
2: Well, it's also definitely easier now that they don't have to dismantle like a tape mechanism. Yeah. Yep. It's just a memory card. It's like popping in an SD card from what I understand.
1: A lot of the times, actually, they even have just these little basically converters where you just plug it in somewhere in the cockpit and it just goes straight to a computer and there's the data.
0: The other thing, too, is you want to know because humans make mistakes. Yep. We're not perfect. And if this podcast
2: has proven anything.
0: <laughs> well, and as we proved yeah. in this episode, sometimes pilots get complacent and they don't follow standard operating procedure. Right. And, you know, it's kind of important for airlines to know that so that if they do need to do training and, you know, make sure pilots are doing what they're supposed to. Yep. They can do
1: that. Correct. Well, thank you, Sherry. That was a good question. It was a
0: good question. That was Summit Air Flight 802D? Yep. Yeah. Correct. I looked at it earlier today. Oh, well, you know what? Don't get too excited. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. Remember, you can always ask questions. They don't have to be about the episodes, although we do appreciate when you guys do ask about the episodes, but it could be about anything. The listener question form is on our website. Miranda, what's your favorite animal? A panda.
2: There. That's an example. Yeah, that's an example. If you're
1: really,
0: truly curious.
1: If you are really, truly curious.
0: Also, make sure, as always, my uh, weekly Patreon plug. Go check out the Patreon page. You might be surprised with, you know, we have a lot of content up on there. Like, we'll probably talk a little bit about this accident in our post episode today. There's blooper reel content. There's my episode content. Yep. I mean, there's so much stuff. So We've given you
1: some previews of some of this stuff recently since we did like the mini-sodes and the Miranda-sode on the main episodes.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, if you haven't listened to those, they were back in like late May and June. Yep. So, I would go take a listen to those and, you know, you never know. You might like it. You could go on for a month and see if you like it and then cancel. I mean, you never know. But all the information for that is on our website and we hope you have a safe and healthy week. And we'll catch you all next week.
2: Keep your speed up.
0: Please like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Podcast, and on Twitter at hardlandingspod.
2: Subscribe and leave a five-star review on the platform you are using to listen.
1: If you would like to see photos and sources for this episode, please visit us at hardlandingspodcast.com, where you can also leave us feedback and ask questions. This episode was
0: researched and written by Nick and Christy and edited by the lovely page. Our theme
2: song was written by Miranda and performed by all three of us, plus Leo.
1: And our logo is by Naomi.
2: Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.